Well, let's turn our attention to the scriptures. Dr. Phillips is not here this evening to continue in our study of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, if you were not here last week, you missed a very good one on the doctrine of the lesser magistrate and the civil magistrate. I encourage you to go find that on our website. But for tonight, we'll be on the Psalms, Psalm 113 in particular. Turn there in your scriptures with me, the Psalms chapter, or Psalm 113. I was asked to teach this evening, and I thought what I might teach on, and having enjoyed so much Psalm 118, which is the end of the Hallel Psalms, I thought I'd start at the beginning, and maybe as opportunity presents itself, I could start teaching uh, through the Hallel Psalms on Wednesdays when there's a need. So let's read Psalm 113. This is the first of the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. This is God's word. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. As I've mentioned, Psalm 113 is the first of the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. It is the last of the Hallelujah hymns from 111 to 113. Those are the Hallelujah hymns. They all start with the word Hallelujah. And the Egyptian Hallel Psalms are from 113 to 118. And these recount at some level uh, the, the Exodus account, uh, uh, God's deliverance. You'll remember from Psalm 118, it was a major theme of, of that psalm and all the psalms and all the scripture really of, of distress and deliverance. And so this is a psalm of praise intended to be sung during the three festival weeks of the Jews. And of course, the, the psalmist is not named. Uh, we don't know who it is, uh, but it doesn't really matter because the message itself is clear enough Uh, This is the main point of Psalm 113. Praise the Lord at all times because there is no one like him. Praise the Lord at all times because there is no one like him. That's the message of Psalm 113. The psalmist begins and ends the psalm, you'll notice, with an exclamation, Hallelujah. This uh, means praise the Lord. That's how it's translated for us. It's an exclamation. It begins and ends the psalm. And the psalmist in between is going to tell us three things we need to know about praising the Lord. First, who should praise the Lord? Second, when they are to praise the Lord. And third, why they are to praise the Lord. And so first we have who should praise the Lord. Scripture, of course, tells us throughout the Scripture uh, that Everyone, all creation is to praise the Lord. We see of sun and moon and stars praising him. Fire, hills, mountains, rain are said to praise him. Every proton, every electron, every atom, it exists for this singular reason, to praise 
the Lord every square inch of existence, praises the Lord by performing his word. God set everything in order, and its sole purpose in existence is to praise the Lord. Well, more than this, that's all matter. More than this, though, all living creatures exist for the same reason. Great sea creatures, beasts, livestock, creeping things, flying birds are all said to praise him. And so all biology, every domain, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species, every individual creature exists for this one reason, to praise the Lord. Every man, woman, child exists to praise the Lord. But here the psalmist especially highlights and calls upon not creation generally, matter, or, or, or living intelligent life, not just humans at large, but he specifically calls upon the servants of the Lord. And from this we should be reminded that while all creation exists to praise the Lord, it is especially our duty, our privilege, as servants of the Lord, to praise him. And we praise the Lord whose name is Yahweh. He is the only living and true God who has revealed himself, as you remember, uh, to his servant Moses. Again, this is a Hallel psalm. So much of its imagery and language is wrapped up in that event. But we think of, of God revealing himself to Moses. He said, I am who I am. He's the eternal, unconsumable, all-sufficient. He is the Lord who needs nothing from his creatures. God doesn't need your praise He wasn't by necessity creator, but he freely chose to create. He he does not increase in glory or decrease in glory depending on whether we praise him or don't praise him. And yet he has ordained for us. It is our duty, our privilege to praise him. Why? Because he, he manifests his glory in, by, unto, and upon those that praise him. He, he, he expresses and reveals who he is as God through his people as we praise him. As servants, we praise the Lord not because he needs our praises. He doesn't. We praise him because he's ordained our praise for the manifestation of his own glory. He makes himself known through us, and when you praise the Lord, he uses your praises to make himself known. To who? To your family, to your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, your co-workers. And we'll see in a moment how all this is so, but it is so vitally necessary for us to praise the Lord because it's one significant part of our witness. How, how, how are people around us going to know who the Lord is? One way they come to know who the Lord is is through us praising him. And for this reason, we ought to praise the Lord at all times. We are to praise the Lord at all times. Who should praise the Lord? Everyone, all creation, all creatures, but especially his servants. And when should we praise the Lord? All the time. All the time. Obviously not all the time in the context of called, stated worship, but our lives are to be full of praise to the Lord. Look at verses 2 and 3. Blessed be the name of the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The name of the Lord, of course, refers to his being, his power, his authority, 
It reveals his person, and we're told here his name, his person is blessed. And his servants see his blessedness by his works and by his word. Therefore, we are to proclaim his blessedness. God is blessed, and we are to call him blessed by praising him. I hope you realize that every blessing you have in this life and every blessing you will have in the life to come is from the Lord. He is blessed, and so we are to call him blessed. As one hymn writer put it, we can only wonder at every gift you send, at blessings without number and mercies without net, without end. The, the name of the Lord is blessed, and it will never stop being blessed. He is God beyond all praising, and so our songs cannot repay. And therefore, our praise should and absolutely must go on forever and ever and ever. And like I mentioned before, this isn't speaking literally of just spending the whole day singing. The Lord does not intend us to spend all day, every day, for all eternity, literally singing. Certainly, there'll be a lot of that. The scripture is very clear. There's a lot of, uh, of worship in heaven, a lot of singing. If you don't like singing, I've got bad news. There's a lot of it in church, and there's a lot of it in eternal life. You might learn to love it. I know I have. I was not a music fan growing up. I didn't listen to music. Uh, it wasn't until I came into the church when I'd received salvation. The first music I really fell in love with was hymnody. And I hope that you love hymnody because you're going to be singing a lot of it, a lot of psalms and a lot of hymns in heaven. Uh, But that's not just what this means. We're going to be doing more than just singing songs. I hope that's a a relief to you now and a relief for you in the future if you don't particularly like singing, that there's more to eternal life and there's more to the Christian life now than just singing songs. God doesn't intend for us to, to spend all day every day in church, in the choir. But it's our lives, it's our heart being full of praise, it's our actions manifesting our praise as we live godly lives. He wants us to live in a posture of praise every day and every hour, not literally by songs perhaps sometimes, but we are to be praising God all the time. You're never to stop doing so. You're never to stop doing so. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Perhaps life began pretty good for you, and now it's become pretty hard. That tends to happen as the years go on. Sorrow compounds on sorrow, tragedy upon tragedy, and the the burden of life just gets to be very, very heavy. Perhaps your health has failed you. Perhaps your family has left you. Your hopes, your plans have been frustrated time and time again. And life just now seems to be one defeat after another. You look at the intercessor, and it's filled with disease and disability and health distresses and death and so many disappointments. And our spiritual lives are often more of the same. We're not what we thought we would be. I think perhaps of my own Christian experience. When Jesus saved me, I thought all my problems had gone away. You can laugh at that. I know you know that's not what happens. The guilt of sin was forgiven. But soon I discovered, as I'm sure you know, that the power of sin still remained lingering in the body. And so the Lord disciplines us, doesn't he? And it's easy under the discipline of the Lord to become bitter and discouraged. But I eventually learned to praise the Lord even while living under his discipline. And I trust many of you have learned the same. 
You see that the Lord knows his children and he loves us and therefore he disciplines us. Why does he do it? It's for the weaning of us off of the love of this world. From our love of the wicked world, he's, he's weaning us. And by his discipline, he is preparing us for a life to come, for a world to come. And so we should not let the difficulties, the distresses of this life, of his discipline, to discourage us from praising the Lord. We are to praise the Lord at all times. When should you praise the Lord? You should praise him in the light of the morning when life seems bright and beautiful? Would you keep praising him in the blackness of the night when, when life becomes dark, when life becomes discouraging? It's from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. Praise the Lord at all times. Every situation, good and bad, and everything in between. Praise the Lord. As a servant of the Lord, this is your call and my call. And that sometimes it may seem very difficult. Perhaps when a mother or your father dies, when your spouse leaves you, when your children fall into sin and forsake the Lord, ask yourself, what am I supposed to do in those situations? You are to praise the Lord. You are to bless his name. Why? Because of who he is. Who is to praise the Lord? The servants of the Lord. All creatures, yes, but especially the servants of the Lord. When are we to praise the Lord? All the time, in every good situation, every bad situation, all the time. Why are we to praise the Lord? It is because the Lord is exalted, but he has stooped down to save The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? When I was in the army, they said leadership consisted of providing purpose, direction, and motivation. And I found that to be a helpful framework for often looking at the the scripture. We are given direction, but we're also given motivation on how to fulfill those directions. We're given a command to praise the Lord, but how are we to do it? We need to be encouraged. And so the psalmist, he gives us the motivation we need. What does he say? He wants us to be motivated, motivated by reminding us who God is. See, your praising the Lord doesn't depend on your circumstances. In good circumstances and bad circumstances, it doesn't matter. Your duty, your call, your vocation, your privilege is all the same. You are to praise the Lord. He asks this rhetorical question, who is like the Lord our God? What's the answer? No one. That's the answer. No one is like the Lord our God. Absolutely no one is like the Lord. He is in a category all his own. He doesn't exist in the taxonomies of domain or kingdom. He can't be found on the tree of life. He is above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. He's not like us. In other words, there's no one like him. You see, only the Lord is sovereign over all his creation. The nations, you recall the language of Psalm 2 perhaps, the nations may oppose him. Governments may persecute his people. But no matter how hard they try, they can neither defeat him or diminish his glory. Because God's glory doesn't depend on whether we praise him or not. 
He's only manifesting his glory as we praise him. He's making it known through our praise, but our praise does not add or subtract, and neither does our rebellion. The nations cannot defeat him. They cannot diminish his glory. In fact, the reality of Scripture is that all his enemies, being still creatures, exist to make his glory known. They may plot, but even this, we are told, is to the praise of his glory. As I mentioned before, this psalm is part of the Egyptian Hillel Psalms, which celebrate the Exodus. And so you think perhaps of the language the Lord used in speaking to Pharaoh. What did he say to Pharaoh to illustrate this point? He says, For this very purpose I have raised you, that is Pharaoh, up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Who is like the Lord? Who, who, who besides him can glorify himself? Even in the lives of his most vicious enemies, no one is like the Lord. He alone is enthroned on high, and from his high vantage point, he looks down, we read. He looks down, far down. He stoops, as it were, and sees all of his creation from heavens unto the earth. That is everything he has made. He may seem very far away at times. But the reality is the Lord is never aloof, disinterested, uninvolved, unaware. He sees everything with a perfect, penetrating clarity. Nothing, absolutely nothing, escapes his notice. He hears his people. He sees his people. But the question we have is, will he save his people? That's the real question. God sovereignly by, you see, God's sovereignty by itself is, is not exactly good news to rebellious sinners bound in slavery. Certainly man is a creature, and so he owes praise to his creator. But without salvation, we can never praise this creator as a redeemer. And, this is, and in this, there's no one like the Lord. See, he, he hears his people. He sees his people. And he delivers his people. And the psalmist is going to give us several examples of smaller deliverances. Obviously, the, the big deliverance of, of his people being delivered from bondage and slavery to, in Egypt. Uh, and then you have all these lesser uh, deliverances that are, are, are given as examples in the psalm. And obviously, they all point to an ultimate deliverance, which is in Christ. Look at verses 7 through 9. We see that the Lord raises the poor. From the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap and he makes them to sit with princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her joyous, a joyous mother of children. And for all these things, we are to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We don't live in a world governed by chance or natural selection. Life is not always lived tooth and claw, nor does survival always belong to the fittest or the most adaptable. No, this world is ultimately governed by the Lord. He sovereignly superintends all things, from the the greatest matters in the world to the least things of the world. And while God ordinarily makes use of means, he is always free to work without, above, or against these means according to his good pleasure. Naturally speaking, 
looking at our examples in this psalm, the needy are not likely to sit with princes. Typically, the very rich don't dine with the very poor. We know that. The barren woman is ordinarily not able to have children. She can try as much as she wants, but if she is barren, she is barren. But the Lord, he may choose to lift the poor man up. He may choose to make a fruitful Uh, Make fruitful a once barren womb. I think perhaps of the Exodus. A slave band is not likely to succeed in the rebellion against the most powerful man in the world. But the Lord is able to deliver his people. And so this is what the Lord does. Yes, he has his his ordinary way of working, but he super and he superintends everything, but sometimes he supernaturally intervenes and does things that we do not expect him to do. We've seen that in our own church. Uh, of prayers that we have lifted up for many years and how the Lord has gradually answered those prayers. This is much of the Christian life, paying attention to how how the Lord is doing the unexpected. And this is what we see here. He's sovereignly superintending all things. Praise the Lord at all times because there is no one like him. He is sovereign. He hears. He sees. He superintends all of his creation. He does so for his own glory And that should bring us as his people great relief and comfort to know that this world is governed, again, not by chance, not by fate, not by natural selection, but by the Lord, the God who made everything, controls everything. He superintends it with purpose, according to his goodness, according to his wisdom. And he does so for our good. But I want to conclude by considering a difficult question. God's servants are to praise the Lord at all times, from the rising of the sun to its setting, from the time, this time forth forevermore, the name of the Lord is to be praised. That's what the psalmist has said. And that means the servants of the Lord are called to praise the Lord even as they wait upon him for deliverance. We know we should praise the Lord when he raises us up out of our own poverty and need, whether physically and economically or spiritually. We know we are to praise him when he blesses us with whatever blessing it may be, children or any other good thing. But do we know, have we learned how to praise him while we wait? I think this is a very important question because this is what the Christian life right now is largely about. The Lord has heard He has seen our suffering. He has stooped down and made himself known by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to come and die on the cross, to defeat Satan, to deliver us from the bondage and slavery of sin. The guilt, the wrath, the curse of God was taken from us and put on him. And by his resurrection, you have received God's righteousness, his blessing, eternal life. But now, what are we all doing? We're all here waiting. And some of you, no doubt, are suffering. How do you praise the Lord when you're waiting and suffering? Let me briefly offer two answers by way of application of this text. First, it's very important that we remember the big picture. It's the first thing I would say. How do you, how do you praise the Lord amidst your suffering? Remember the big picture. Praise the Lord because there is no one like him. You have no other creator, no other redeemer. He's in control. 
and all your biggest problems have already been solved on the cross. When Jesus does return in glory, all your suffering in this life, as serious as it seems now, as dark, as difficult, will seem very light and very insignificant in the grand scheme of eternal life. Oh, there will be comfort upon comfort when Christ comes again. So remember the big picture, what Christ has already done, solving the biggest problems we have. Second, remember that the Lord sees and is concerned not only for the great things, but also for the little things as well. Salvation, of course, he's concerned with salvation, but he's also very concerned about the ordinary suffering of his people. Here he highlights poverty and barrenness. We might say finances and family. How much of our intercessor deals with issues of finance and family? The Lord is concerned about those things. And Jesus instructs us to pray, not only for the coming of his kingdom, but also our daily bread. Ordinary, routine needs that we have, routine sufferings, even more serious, grievous sufferings. We bring them to the Lord in prayer, remembering the big picture. Jesus would have you to remember the very hairs of your head are numbered. If God knows the number of hairs on your head, do you think he knows and cares and is concerned about the other things? What does he say? Your father feeds the birds. He clothes the flowers of the field. Why should you worry about what you will eat? and what you will wear? What about children? Why do you weep? What does Hannah say? Or what is said to Hannah? Is not myself more than ten? Does not Christ also say, am I not more than ten husbands or ten children? Whoever you've lost, whatever you've lost, is not Christ tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold more a blessing than whatever we lose in this world. While you suffer and wait, remember that Christ is more. Remember to pray. Remember the big picture. Remember that all the best blessings are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And conclude with the psalmist, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord at all times because there's none like him. He's sovereign, he sees, he hears, he saves. He knows your sufferings, he cares and is concerned. Will you praise him? Will you pray? I hope you will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which ministers to us in all seasons, in joy and sorrow, in comfort and in affliction, Lord. Oh, would your word be a comfort to your people? Would you... Keep on their minds by your spirit and by your word that you have saved and that Jesus is coming again. And though we suffer now, these are light and momentary afflictions, not worth weighing against the weight of glory which is to come. Comfort those who mourn and grieve, those who are afflicted in various ways in this congregation and beyond. We pray again for the parents of Owen. O oh Lord, would you be gracious? Would you comfort? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.